0: Our, if you're new with us, our, our series this month, uh, and oh, September and October, is called Insecure. In other words, how do we find real security uh, both in a world that is very insecure and also in our own lives where we have so much, uh, so much of that feeling of insecurity in so many ways? Where do we find true security in our lives? And of course, the answer is Jesus. So you don't even have to have been here for the last few weeks to know, to know that. But um, we've been walking through this teaching in the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 4, if you're new with us and don't know this, uh, version Bible app, and then you can go click on more and then events, and these scriptures are already loaded for you there, so uh, you're welcome to, to do that. It'll also be on the screen. We did uh, verses 1 to 6 last week, and so today we're going to start at verse seven and, 7, and it says this. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers The mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, full disclosure to the church, (laughs) to you, it took me way, way, way too long in my life, I won't tell you how many years old I was, because I'm not exactly sure, but it was way too long for me to understand the ending of the movie, The Wizard of Oz. I'm not sure I've ever confessed this before. You think, what is there possibly to understand? I'll explain. Listen, if you know me at all, you'll know that I understood the singing and the dancing. We're off to see the wizard, follow the yellow brick road. Like, yes, I understood that from a very young age. I understood that the Wicked Witch of the West was trying to stop them from going to see the wizard because Dorothy had those shoes. And I understood that the whole thing was a smokescreen because the great and powerful Oz was just a little old guy behind the curtain. But I found the whole movie very disappointing as a child and into, like, later than a child when I figured this out. Uh, Very disappointing because when he gave the lion, like, all he does because he doesn't really have any powers, this great and powerful Oz. Do you remember what he does at the end? He gives the lion a medal for bravery. He gives the scarecrow a diploma because he wants a brain. (laughs) This is a great story. And he gives the tin man a heart-shaped watch because he doesn't have a heart, he doesn't think. And I was so disappointed with this ending, and I was for many, many, many years, because I looked at that and said, that's stupid, and it doesn't change anything. I wanted to see, like, I don't know if you know the movie Beauty and the Beast. I've watched it more times than is reasonable for a human. But um, at the end, you know when the Beast is like there's magic, and he's transformed into something completely different. That's the moment I wanted at Wizard of Oz. I wanted, like, a heart to grow inside the Tin Man, and I wanted, I don't know, I wanted to see something other than these tokens that were ridiculous. It just proved how... Powerless Oz was, and it always, always bothered me. Nothing changed. I knew this even as a little kid, and there was no transformation, and I didn't like it. And therefore, I realized much later in life I didn't actually understand the point of the movie whatsoever, <laughs> because the point, of course. And it, maybe you're like, you're looking at me like, what? What was there another point beyond these things? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just tell you, um, I am getting to scripture here. I promise you. We're not just going to preach from the Wizard of Oz. The point is, and the point, the point was, of course, that they already had those things, like the heart and, and the brain, and, and what was the other one? The courage. If I only had the nerve, like, yes, how could I forget? Um, if, like, they already had those things, and when they got to Oz, they already, they already had what they needed. They already had these things, and what they really actually needed was that journey together to figure it out. They they maybe were like, maybe the scarecrow, he doesn't think he had a brain, but he he did. He just, he was a little naive. He was new to the world and he was learning as he went. And so this is the story that came to mind when I was working through today's passage because um, last week we talked about how we need to live like the people we have become and that it's vital to be connected to God and to one another and to keep, to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit that we have been given. That's those first six verses um, in in Ephesians chapter 4. And we talked a little bit about that. We try to capture that in the core value that we have here at Freedom we call connect. Connect with God, connect with others. And from there, we are led in this scripture in Ephesians 4 into this explanation of what Christ has given the church through his grace. And what not only unity but maturity looks like in the body of Christ and where it comes from. And this is what we have, have just read. And it made me think about the Wizard of Oz because in, in a kind of a similar way that was uh, displayed, like they, they already had what they needed uh, once they got, to, they got to the wizard because they had already had it that whole time. I was thinking about it like this. Like Jesus gives gifts, it says here. But those gifts are not like a token, they're not a thing, they're, they're not even a talent. The gifts that he gives are people, the people that are around us, the people in our lives, and here in specifically in this passage, the people in the church. And these people that have been given to me to help me to mature and grow enable me to learn to be like Jesus. And it turns out that what we what we need in our lives for this maturing process is not something other than what we already have. Jesus has already given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, 1 Peter 1.3. We have his spirit and we have people around us, his body, who are vitally connected to him. So let's walk through these verses that we just read together because this, there's this incredible train of thought that comes, comes through this, from the spirit, through the apostle Paul, to the church in Ephesus and it's brief but powerful Uh, Here, and it starts like this. Ephesians 4, 7, of course, says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So last week, if you remember, we talked about the qualities of a Jesus follower. So humble, gentle, patient, forbearing, uh, loving, peacemaking, all of these things that are the positive qualities of a Jesus follower. And now we're looking at how these qualities are gonna function in the church in real time, like where the rubber meets the road. We have every good thing that we need together as the body of Christ because of a gift of grace given to us by Jesus himself. Did you know that? That's what it's saying here. And this gift of grace, understand, is not saving grace. This is not that you put your faith in Jesus and you receive grace and you're saved. This is not that. But this is what some uh, scholars have termed serving grace, a different kind of use of the same word. This is the grace that equips people, uh, uh, God's people, to serve. Remember uh, when Scott, at the beginning of September, shared a message called "Grace Goes Further Than Forgiveness," talking about how there is the grace we receive when we choose Jesus and that initial salvation moment when our lives are changed and we you know, change citizens, citizenship into a, another kingdom. But this is the, the like, grace goes further than just that first moment, and he talked about. That process through our lives. This is another example of that grace that goes further than just that moment of salvation. Grace isn't only for that um, or even just for the ongoing need for sanctification and transformation in our lives. It's also given, this scripture says, to equip us with what we need to live out the deep work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And notice here that it says uh, that Jesus apportions it. That means that All of us are receiving this serving grace in different ways and in different measures. And so there's no reason for any one of us to be uneasy or to be jealous about that. It might seem that somebody else got a lot more serving grace than you, and this scripture basically just in a really simple way says, don't worry about it. (laughs) Just You don't have to worry about that. This is from Jesus himself, and, and he is giving the church what she needs when she needs it. He's providing for every need of the church by giving grace to people, working in and through people for the sake of the whole body. And we have to hold to that perspective if we want to keep the unity that we have in the spirit. This is another thing that's going to divide us pretty quickly is if we don't understand that Jesus is giving what he's giving and we are responsible to serve with the grace that we've been given and not worry about other people and what they might have been given or not given. Honestly, (laughs) um, this is easier said than done, of course, but this is the instruction in the Word. It's easier said than done because sometimes we look for identity in what we can do or what talents we have and those kinds of things. We look for identity in a lot of things other than Him. We've been talking about that for weeks now. And this is another, another way that we can get off course if we're not careful. So we have to keep this primary in our minds, that what you have been given, the ways that you have been given to serve, the talents, the gifts, or whatever, whatever the graces, serving grace has been given to you, has been given by Jesus himself and he knows you and he's given you what is needed for the church that you need to engage with. Verses 8 to 10 say this. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It is so tempting to skip these three verses and go right on to 11. I have done it. I have read this passage and and read verse seven and then went right on to 11 because this feels like what is happening at this point? Paul, did did somebody cut something out of another letter and put it into this letter right here? What is going on with this? Uh, But Paul is actually following a really interesting, important train of thought here. And if you can follow it with him, it's pretty cool. So Paul is quoting here from Psalm 68, 18, but he changes the quote. From the old testament he changes it for his purposes but it's not heresy I, I don't know if he's allowed to do it i don't he didn't ask my permission but he did it and there's a reason that he did it because he psalm 68 is um, a metaphor uh, for a conquering king and the old testament in in the original the old testament says that the king received gifts from the people after he had won a victory. He comes home from the victory, he receives gifts from the people as like a congratulations, you're awesome, we're so glad that you're our king. But Paul takes that same scripture and he changes it to say that this new king, who is Jesus, Christ offers and gives gifts to his people after his victory. Well, let me just let that sink in because when I figured that out, I don't skip this part anymore. It's the opposite of what you would see a human king do. And he is giving gifts to his people after his victory. This is what our life in Christ is like. I'm just going to need, like I don't even need you to shout back at me, but I'm just going to need to make sure you're understanding how awesome Jesus is. That's all I need to know, okay? Like this is a pretty incredible thing to understand. And the idea here is that the king, uh, when it says the king is ascending, of course, in, in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, it would be a reference to the king after a battle, after going out to war, literally ascending up to Jerusalem, up to the holy city, up to Mount Zion, after a battle, in victory, and there'd be a procession, and it like, literally is like physically a, an ascension to that place. And Paul makes this comparison, um, he, he seems to be thinking about this fact, like he, it's, like, it's like he goes onto this Old Testament train of thought and realizes how awesome it is to have this new king jesus when paul makes a comparison he talks about the fact that if jesus ascended which he is the conquering king and he ascended and he's on high not in human i mean uh, earthly jerusalem but in heavenly jerusalem if he ascended that means that he would have had to descend it at some point you get the logic here he's like oh if jesus ascended and did all gave all these gifts that means that if he ascended he came he came he came from somewhere he came from his descent to walk among us and to win this victory for us. So he first descended to come and win that victory. And then, after he ascended, instead of receiving gifts from his people, he filled the whole world through his spirit. He gave gifts to his people. And I don't know, friends, but to me, that's a pretty amazing rabbit trail right here in the uh, middle of Ephesians chapter four that's worthwhile. Because this is what Paul is thinking about when he says Christ gives these gifts, this, this grace, he gives out this grace a portion to the church. And then he tells us why Christ is able to do that. Because he chooses to be that kind of king. And win that victory and then pour out all of this onto his people. This is the, the giver of saving and serving grace. This is the conquering and reigning king who has everything to give and chooses to do so. And then the end result is that we get to benefit from Jesus' win. It's pretty amazing. So then he sort of swings back to what he was originally saying. He got a little sidetracked, but for a really good reason here. Uh, verses 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave. And so Jesus has ascended. He's this, like, like the conquering king. He's pouring out um, grace and his spirit on all, uh, on all of his people. And here are some of the things that he gives to his people. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Christ himself gave. And then this list, of course, of leadership roles, sometimes referred to as offices of the church. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Sometimes pastor, teacher is uh, combined into one gift as, because in the Greek it seems like it might actually be combined as one person. And these are all gifts from the King intended to equip the church. He says, "I don't have time this morning to get into definitions and also modern applications of the uh, this f- fivefold or fourfold. Sometimes it's called uh, uh, giftings here." the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But in our Get Secure course that we've been following along with, Pastor Dell does an excellent job outlining these in the chapter that is, uh, that I don't even know what chapter it is, I didn't write it down, but the chapter that deals with this passage of scripture. So if you're interested in learning more about those particular gifts, what they look like in the modern church and all of those kinds of things, there's a great and very easy to understand explanation in the Get Secure course. The link is actually um, in the version app for you this morning as well, if you're looking for it. But the point here for us this morning is that Christ himself gave these gifts uh, to the church, and what are these gifts? Are they talents? Is it money? Is it buildings? Is it property? What did Jesus give the church? People. He gave grace to people to serve the church. The gifts are people. And this causes me to pause and take note because I I think we sometimes hope there's going to be a talent or an ability or a skill that's going to make us be able to figure stuff out and do it better. But instead, Jesus is apportioning grace to his people to fill these roles and to do this work. And honestly, from what I know about myself, let alone other people, this might not be his most efficient way of doing things. I just am saying. I like, like... I have a high, high, high view of the church, but we don't always get it right. Jesus gets everything perfect. Like, why, what's he thinking about using us in this way? And yet, this is what he chooses to do. is to give grace, serving grace to people, to be able to serve the body. We're all given serving grace in some way. Some of us are are called to receive grace to function in these leadership roles or church offices with the express purpose, it says here, of equipping the people of God for works of service. This word word equip is kind of the best way we can maybe describe in English what this says, but it means a lot in Greek. Equip is the word used in surgery for setting a broken limb. I know we don't think of it like that uh, when we hear it in English. It's also the word used uh, at the time in, in the Greek for putting a joint back into its place. That's equipping. It's used in politics in, in Greece, in, in the Greek language at this time. It's, it was used for, uh, to, meaning bringing together opposing factions. That was also to equip. In the New Testament, the same word is used for mending nets. And it's used for disciplining an offender so that a person can find their way back to fellowship with Christ. It's used in all of those ways at the time of the writing of this letter. And so to equip is to get things in their place, to bring people together, to mend what is broken, to deal with what is out of God's will, and to call people to unity and to fellowship and to discipleship. That's what the purpose of these gifts are. And the aim is always building up and not tearing down. And it says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. These are all uh, forward-moving, forward-thinking uh, uh, things. that are, These are not about stripping down or, or tearing down. These are all building up things that this grace is given to the church for. So the target of the work of the church and the charge for these leaders, in other words, is, is is to do these things, and until we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, who in the room has now attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, other than Pastor Ethan, we all know that that's true. <laughs> but other than him, who like who among us? So what is the instruction here? The instruction is for this grace to be apportioned to the church and poured out and used in the body in this way until Christ returns. Like this is the ongoing work of the body of Christ. And this matters because there are always people who must be guarded against. There are people who use clever arguments to deconstruct and confuse the faith. And the only way to avoid this, it says, is to be continuously growing in Christ. These are the next, this is the next verse. Then, of course, attaining to the whole measure, like what we're aiming at, what we're building towards, all of these things, then... We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Like, I don't have a note here, but I just want to remind you that we're talking about people because the messengers of these kinds of um, deceitful scheming, of this kind of uh, doctrine or poor teaching that is brought against the church or might want to tear, tear down your faith or tear you down, comes from people. But I want you to remember, what does Ephesians 6 say? I'm going to wreck your message a little bit, just, just briefly in a couple sentences. Ephesians 6 says that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not people that we're mad at. It's not, it's not people, it's, it's, the, it's the spiritual battle that we are in that we must recognize in order to see this uh, at, at play. So while we hear these messages and we're on guard against people who will teach this way, we also understand in love that person needs truth. They don't need to be brought down or torn down, they need truth and they need to be loved and they need to be introduced to the message of grace in Christ because there's a spiritual battle we're fighting. But we have to be on our guard against those people and those messages, as much as we're not against the person themselves. And certainly, this says being tossed back and forth by the waves, like we're like infants, we, and we certainly know that, we know we're supposed to be like, childlike in our faith, right? And I think that, believe, we believe that it's like, when it comes to our humility, when it comes to our innocence. But in every other sense, don't be like a baby, it says. Because you know what kids are like. I don't care if you have your own kids or not. You have been around enough kids. If you don't know what kids are like, I'm sure Miss Margaret would love to have you just now. Go over and just, just hang out and, and stuff with the kids who are amazing and awesome and fun and whatever, but they're also a disaster very, very quickly, right? They, children are like little boats on a stormy sea at the mercy of the wind and waves. Think about little kids. Everyone has power over their lives. Everyone tells them what to think and what to do. They are easily influenced. They make emotional, erratic decisions, and they are at the mercy of whatever is happening to them in the moment that they are in right then. We had one of our kids just declare to us one day, oh, here, we're going to have some olives. Was it olives? Here, we're going to have some olives. You love olives. I hate olives. You know this, right? We're like you ate olives yesterday. Yesterday was Tuesday. So all of us on Tuesday only. Like this is what children think like. It's just, it's just, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. You have a one in three chance of guessing which child that was. I'll leave that to you. I don't want to owe them ice cream if I say their name. So this does not describe your life in Christ. And if it does, if it does, it doesn't have to. You can change that because this is, what, uh, this is what we are supposed to be doing for one another in the body of Christ. We are not tossed and blown and, and, and making emotional erratic decisions and easily influenced at the mercy of whatever is happening to us. No. In Christ, we are secure. We are, we are growing in maturity towards uh, attaining all the fullness of Christ in our lives. That's the journey. It certainly doesn't have to be like this because we have been given grace by Jesus through people, the people in this room with you, to learn to grow up and become mature, living fully free in who you are in Christ. I know this is a hard word. It's not like difficult. I know I'm not like yelling about something that's like very controversial. I'm saying it's hard for us in Canada because we're so individualistic. And this was written to a culture that very much understood community in a different way that we do. And we have to grapple with that and understand that our Canadian way of doing it ourselves and just dealing with ourselves and staying insular in our own lives is not the way of the body of Christ. We have to be together to help one another to do these things for these things to be true. So what does it look like, verses 15 and 16? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together, there it is again, by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I don't know if that could be any more clear. The Greek reads more accurately, it says in in English, of course, speaking the truth in love, which which is a fair rendering, but because it's awkward in the Greek, it's actually (laughs) truthing in love. Truthing in love. It's a verb. Can you truth? Like living and maintaining and doing the truth together as the body of Christ. Provided, of course, it's in love. Of course, we're reminded immediately of 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, End of 12, early 13. Yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith and can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. yeah. And you know. We love to start at that part, don't we? <laughs> I like to start right there. <laughs> love is patient. It's good for weddings. But without the... But the, the first part of it is a little bit less good for weddings, right? You can have all the right truthing, but if you don't have love, it is for nothing. Jesus did this better than anyone. Grace and truth held perfectly in balance together. That's why we need to learn to think and act. Oh, I'm a little ahead of myself, sorry. No, it's not. I'm, not, I'm right. I'm right. On. Yeah, I did it. Thank you, Lenore. We try, to, we try to capture this exact thing in our second core value, which is to learn to think and act like Jesus, because nobody did this like Jesus. None of us are going to do it perfectly like Jesus, of course, but this is who we are following and modeling our lives after. No one teaches us to do this better than his Holy Spirit. And this is what we need to do if we want to um, live up to what we are called to, to to live as the people that we have become as we're learning about in Ephesians. We have to learn to think and act like the one we are following. And yeah, we could read more books. I hope you read books about your faith. I, we could listen to more podcasts or more sermons. There's certainly no end of those. And we could go to more conferences, but we may or may not be learning to be more like Jesus. We might certainly be learning about Jesus. But if we want to be disciples, we have to imitate our teacher, not just learn about our teacher. We have to learn to do that, to imitate him where the rubber meets the road in our life. Biblical knowledge is extremely important. You know we have such a high, high view of Scripture here in this church. But you have to also know how to apply it. You need to learn to think and act like Jesus, the action items of your life. You need to know how to do this with your hostile co-worker. You know the one. How do you do this with them? What about that child Who has rejected you or your your family or your faith? What about that estranged spouse? How do we do this there? What about that person who is speaking lies about you and you know it? How do you do this there? What about that addict in your life? How do you show love and also uh, be truthful? And what does that look like? We have to learn to think and act like Jesus, to know him and to practice what it is to model grace and truth together, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not by our own effort. How do we learn to do this? This is. I don't. I'm gonna. I kind of want to apologize for how simple this is, but I'm not gonna. Did I just anyway? Sorry. This is. It's not complicated, friends, and I just want to say that to you. How do we learn to think and act like Jesus? How do we learn to act out the things that we have been given serving grace to do? How do we make all of this work? I would, I've got to tell you, I, this is Pastor Dell. we'll call it um, the big three. <laughs> he calls it the big three every single time. Pray, know the word, and listen to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of spiritual disciplines that are amazing and can help you to grow in, in, um, in your knowledge of God and in discipleship, and, I, and I, I trust that you are adding those to your life, especially the longer you've known the Lord. But these are foundational. And I know for a fact that so many people who call themselves Christians don't do these three things. And I'm not, mad, I'm not mad at you about it. I say that out of love. I say that because there is no way forward unless you can just do the simple things. Talk to God, spend some time in his word, and practice just listening for his voice in your day. I promise you it's not complicated, you don't have to have any degree for it, but you've got to have these things happening in your life. If you feel guilty right now, and you feel condemned because these things are not in your life, can you say, no, thank you, Satan, I don't receive condemnation, I receive conviction from the Spirit that I'm going to walk in these things so I can know you better? Or say, like I said, I think I said this last week, the week before, say, thank you, Satan, Satan. This is maybe weird. If you're new, you're like, why are we talking to Satan? I'm, I'm just kind of fooling, but not really. I say, thank you for the reminder that I am imperfect and I need God's grace. And, I can, and I'm so grateful for the reminder so that I know that I can walk on tomorrow. I can start my day talking to the Lord in the Word and listen to the Spirit. Thank you for the reminder. Ha, yes. I love that. I don't even have to wait till tomorrow. I could do it this afternoon. You know, sometimes I, um, I preach with my Bible here, and then sometimes my, my streak on my Bible app goes back to one because I didn't open my Bible app, and I want to tell you version. I preach from the Bible today. It counts on my Bible app. Streak. But there's no option for that on the app. And I've just given that to the Lord. You can tell I've totally healed from that, that issue. But even though you've heard the word today, even though you've heard me bring the word today, what has the Lord said to you, maybe this afternoon? What is, your, uh, what is your processing of that? What is the Spirit saying to you? The second thing is we must receive from one another and give to one another. This is the serving grace we've been given as a church. We have to receive what, what, this, what Christ has given, we've got to receive it into our lives. And we also have to be ready to understand how to serve out of the grace that we've been given to the body. Verse 1 reminds us, of course, that Jesus has given each one of us serving grace for this. And then, of course, verse 11 reminds us that he's given us leaders to equip us for the work of the ministry. In all of this, the point being, we have everything we need sitting here in this room because the Holy Spirit has given each of us this serving grace to be able to help us in this maturing process as we learn to think and act like Jesus together. Pastor Dell says in um, Get Secure, make it your priority to know Christ more deeply each day and to make him known every opportunity you get everywhere you go. Do not try to grow spiritually on your own, but be actively involved in your church family and learn from one another the ins and outs of practical discipleship. We all need to be held accountable for our attitudes and actions, and the church provides that for us. Every member must participate intentionally in church family life to keep the body joined and held together like ligaments do in a human body. You need others, and they need you for support. You do not need to try to figure things out alone because you can consult with others. Everyone accomplishes much more together than by themselves. Um, I just, I mentioned uh, Scott Corkill, uh, his message back in September, and this just popped into my mind, so I'm just going to say this, which is, um, he did a seminar with us last September, last fall, I think it was September, and it helped us to walk through in a coaching way. Maybe you're sitting here going, I have nothing to give. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what my serving grace is. I'm sort of useless in the body. That's terrible theology. I'm gonna call that out on you right now. That's not what scripture says. And it it reminds me that if you want someone to walk, you just like, you're like, I I hear you, but I don't know where I fit in this model. I don't know where I fit in this body. I don't know how I'm connected. And I I just, I need to kind of figure that out. I wanna walk through that and be coached through that. We would love to do that with you. Just like we have some people who are really good at that kind of thing and we'd love to do that with you. Um, Just asking questions and hearing your heart and, and figuring out what God has equipped you with. So if that's you, reach out to somebody reach out to staff and uh, we'll get you set up with that with those conversations no no pressure doesn't mean you're <laughs> obligating yourself to serve in the nursery for the next 30 years of your life that's not what that means it means that you can discover that these things are true of your life and you don't have to dismiss them i want to remind you of some of the things that we have learned here that help us to understand our security in Christ you are no longer a spiritual infant I don't know if you feel brand new in your faith and you've been coming to church for 20 years, but listen, you can settle this today. You're not a baby. I wore like really pretty earrings that are not soup. Sorry, Frank. Frank is like, you're being so gracious. Two, you are no longer unstable or unsure of your faith. You know you're not. You don't have to walk like that. You have everything you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of him. You are no longer easy prey for schemers. You know the word. You're listening to the voice of the Spirit. You know how to ask somebody else, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Can you help me understand? Or what, do you th- what have you read in the Bible that might help me with this? You now speak the truth in love. You don't love with no truth and you don't truth with no love. You know how to do both because you're, you're thinking and acting like your Savior. You are now intimate with Christ. You are learning to listen to his voice. And trust that when you hear it, you know it's him. And those five are from Get Secure. I stole those from Pastor Dell, but I'm going to add a sixth, which is you are not alone as you serve Jesus. You're not alone. So I wonder, how has this worked in your life? How is it that you are seeing these things explored in your life?